Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Andy Ricketts, News Editor at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing the impact the pandemic has had on volunteering. But first, Andy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? How's it going? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to be back. How are things with you? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. I, I got pinged at the weekend, so I haven't been <gasps> leaving my house. So oh, this is dear. this is my quota of social interaction for the week. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, on the subject of the pandemic, um, having, you know, thrown our lives upside down in the last 18 months and introduced us to lots of new ways of doing things and new habits. I was wondering, is there anything that you've started doing during the pandemic that you think you'll continue to do post-pandemic? It's like any habits? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I really would like to say that I've been learning a foreign language or <laughs> taking up knitting, you know, like Tom Daly, the Team GB diver and his amazing creations that we've been seeing during the Olympics. But not particularly, but I think the thing that has really kind of amped up for me is on the running front. So I was a bit of a runner before the pandemic, but certainly once the pandemic hit, I kind of really started doing more and more of that because obviously otherwise I wasn't leaving the house or going anywhere or even <laughs> walking very far, you know, kind of working from home and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, my, my, my running mileage has definitely upped enormously. And obviously that is now culminating in me doing London Marathon. It is indeed. Um, so yes, yeah, so you're doing the London Marathon. Do you want to tell people a bit about, about the charity you're doing it for? And- yeah. So Skylarks is the charity that I'm going to be running to raise funds for and Skylarks is a children's charity that supports um, families with children who have disabilities um, and other learning difficulties and they are um, they provide kind of therapies and other sort of activities local to where Haymarket Third Sector's parent company works and Haymarket has Skylarks as its official charity partner hence the reason why I'm going to be running to uh, to raise funds for them and um yeah so if if anybody wanted to um sponsor me uh for putting myself through 26 miles of pain then uh, i'm sure we can put a link in the show notes can indeed yes so what about you rebecca what have you been taking up during the pandemic i think doing big shops actually i quite like um <laughs> so i just always used to like you know grab sort of what I needed for a couple of days on the way home from work whereas actually like having a big shop and sort of planning a lot more has been nice so I'm hoping that will stick around as a habit um I've started doing sort of drawing and doodling and coloring in um because I sort of I sort of like when you're a kid you draw a picture and you don't really care if it's good or not right like you just you just draw a picture because you want to draw and it makes you feel good and I've been doing a bit of that um I think I have no aspirations at all to be to kind of take up serious art and I just want it to stay that way I just want to keep doing doodles um so yeah I think hopefully um we'll keep doing that and uh yeah talking to friends on video call as well I think um because because I realised, like, I was talking to, I, you know, I've got friends in other countries who I've been talking to on video call for a long time. And then during the pandemic, I was suddenly talking to friends who live in the same city as me. And then it occurred to me, well, what about the friends who live in the same country, but a different city? I would It would never occur to me to call them for a video chat before the pandemic. Yeah. And then suddenly mid-pandemic, I was like, oh, yeah, I should just I should just call them. Uh, I can just do that because I'm doing that, like I say, for people who live sort of a bus ride away. And and I'm, you know, why why wouldn't I do it for people that live that far away? So that's been that's been really nice and kind of connecting with people that I don't see that often. Mm. 
hopefully that will stick around. So yeah, I think lots of us have developed new habits over the past year or so, some of which we might keep and some of which we might drop like a forgotten mouldy loaf of banana bread going into the bin. Um, (laughs) The Community Life Survey is an annual government exercise that polls more than 10,000 people in England about a range of subjects relating to community activity. The results of this year's survey, which relate to the year to the end of March 2021, were published at the beginning of this month. And obviously, it's been an unusual year. As the National Council for Voluntary Organisations put it, the COVID-19 pandemic and the resultant lockdown has led to the most rapid changes in volunteering patterns since the survey began in 2013. Perhaps unsurprisingly, formal rates of volunteering have dropped off during the pandemic to the lowest numbers since the survey began. The number of people who said they had been involved at least once a month in formal volunteering, which the survey defines as giving unpaid help through clubs or organisations, fell six percentage points year on year to a record low of 17%. In 2019-20, 23% of adults participated in formal volunteering at least once a month, and 37% said they had done so at least once in the year. But the most recent survey shows that these figures fell to 17% and 30% respectively, meaning there were about a fifth fewer people volunteering in a formal setting. The survey also offers some really interesting breakdowns. So the lowest rates of formal volunteering on a yearly basis were among those aged 75 and over, which you kind of expect, you know, those are people who were most vulnerable to the virus. They're also the people that may have the most kind of mobility restrictions and that sort of thing. Um, So they were volunteering at a rate of about 23%. That was followed by 25 to 34-year-olds who were volunteering at a rate of around 31 to 33%. The only age group where formal volunteering rates didn't drop was among 50 to 64-year-olds. And actually, that's quite normal that we see those as being kind of the ones most likely to volunteer. They make up most trustees. Um, You know, it's the the group uh, made up of retired people with time on their hands, um, but who are still physically active. Mm. But it's not all bad news. The survey also showed that 33% of respondents said they had been involved in informal volunteering, which is defined as giving unpaid help to someone who is not a relative, at least once a month in 2020-21. This figure is the highest rate since the survey began in 2013-14 and up five percentage points from 28% last year. Interestingly, though, the proportion of those participating in informal volunteering at least once a year remained steady at just over half. So it went up slightly from 53% to 54% over the past year. And the NCBO argues that this suggests individuals who already volunteered informally increased the frequency of their support. So that was the same people doing more volunteering as opposed to an increase in the numbers of people actually volunteering, which I thought was really was, was really interesting because I, I kind of hoped it had been people waking up to volunteering and looking after their neighbour, but it seemed like the people who were already aware of that were just doing more of it. Yeah, and actually here we have got some really interesting breakdowns because informal volunteering at least once a month was more popular for women than men, 37% versus 28%, although it did increase for both men and women. I mean, I guess that's probably not entirely surprising given the kind of stereotypical gender roles that still tend to prevail in UK society. But the number of respondents who reported their gender as other was too small to give details there. That does make sense. Like like you say, kind of it's Dorothy Donor is the sort of stereotypical donor. Um, Although we've definitely done stories about Dorothy Donor is dead, um, I think, (laughs) in the last few years. And that's changing. But yeah, generally, you do see women 
giving more time and money than men, I think. The one that surprised me, though, was that those living in rural areas showed a higher participation in informal volunteering um, monthly than those in urban areas. So that's 37% in rural areas versus 32% in urban areas. And honestly, I'd have thought it was much easier to be aware of your neighbours and, and you know, you have more neighbours and therefore more opportunities to help out in the city than in the country. But it seems that isn't true. And maybe this idea of kind of, you know, community feel within villages is it does really happen and does really function. It's not just a stereotype. Yeah, that is interesting. But I, I wonder whether the, the, the fall of formal volunteering has something to do with the fact that there were large chunks of time when people weren't allowed to leave their houses. Yeah, something did happen last year. There were reasons we couldn't go out. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, on top of that, many people's experience of volunteering will come through helping with charity events or community activities, many of which have been cancelled over the past 18 months, or indeed charity shops, which have obviously been subject to long periods of closure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, what did people say was stopping them from doing this formal volunteering? Well, respondents who reported volunteering were asked about their reasons for participating in formal volunteering. Those who didn't volunteer regularly were asked about their barriers to doing so. They were invited to select all the responses that applied. The most common reasons for formal volunteering was I wanted to improve things or help people, which was cited by 50% of respondents. And the cause was really important to me, which was given by a third of respondents. For those who didn't get involved in formal volunteering, the most common barriers were I have work commitments, which was given by 48% of people. And I do other things in my spare time, which was given by 31%, while 22% cited looking after children as a barrier for them. Interestingly, though, and this kind of did surprise me a little bit, despite the increased pressures of working from home and you're homeschooling children and you're having the children at home more often and so on, the proportion of people giving these reasons actually fell during the pandemic. Hmm. Having work commitments decreased from 53% in 2019-20 to 48% this year. Uh, having other things to do in their spare time, um, as we said, that's 31% this year. It was 37% last year. And yes, maybe that isn't surprising because everything that was fun was cancelled last year. Fun was not allowed. (laughs) Other things you might do in your spare time were cancelled. But having to look after children was down from 26% to 22%. And I I wonder whether that children factor is partly to do with the fact that so many people were working from home. Mm. And, you know, maybe your partner would otherwise not be at home to help uh, share the the load of looking after the kids but maybe they were and maybe that made it you know released more people to be involved in that kind of thing but there was also a new reason on the scene 27 percent of respondents said they were limiting contact with others due to coronavirus and that this was a barrier to formal volunteering as the ncvo notes in its analysis of the survey the rise of things like mutual aid has blurred the line between formal and informal volunteering Would you consider getting together with a group of people who live nearby to be a club or organisation? Does it just depend on how organised your group is? Yeah, and I think there is something really interesting here about the whole idea of disintermediation, which I know that kind of certain people within fundraising have been talking about for a long time, that there's this notion that people want to do good, they want to help each other, but increasingly they don't really see why it's necessary to have this big formal organisation like a charity to to do it for them to be that intermediary. Um, And actually, they'd rather navigate it for themselves. Um, So, you know, it may be a question there if we're seeing, you know, informal volunteering rising at the same time as formal volunteering is dropping. It may be a question of 
you know, what goodwill is there out there that charities are missing? And, and how can they harness that? But, you know, as we've said, it's been an exceptional year. Things were bound to have shifted around a little bit. Um, and I think what's going to be really interesting will be to see what these numbers do over the next couple of years. It may be that some shifts were just blips and that some go back to normal after the pandemic. You know, it, it may be that some things have shifted permanently and that our attitudes, our approaches and the way we use our time has been forever altered. So mm. you may forever be in marathon training and I may forever be doing big shops and working on art. But, uh, <laughs> or, or, or maybe not. Maybe we won't be this time next year. Let's hope not. Each week, we're bringing you a good news bulletin, a positive or quirky news story that we've spotted in the voluntary sector. So first up, uh, so there's been, I don't think we've spoken about this on the podcast before, um, but there has been a fundraising campaign to buy the Royal National Lifeboat Institution a new life-saving hovercraft and call it the Flying Farage. This was started at the end of last month by a guy called Simon Harris. So listeners to the podcast will remember that um, Nigel Farage, the uh, right-wing political figure and seven-time failed parliamentary candidate, has uh, he accused the RNLI of being a, a taxi service for illegal immigration because it was rescuing people who got into trouble while attempting to enter the UK to cross the English Channel. And as you'll remember, the RNLI kind of hit back by pointing out that they're really not ashamed that they save all people's lives at sea and that they don't ask for passports before pulling drowning people out of the water. Uh, and they saw a 2,000% increase in donations as a result of that. But yeah, Simon Harris, uh, this guy, decided to set up a GoFundMe page to raise £100,000 to buy a hovercraft for the RNLI and call it the Flying Farage. And he has now hit that £100,000 target and they've actually extended the target to £150,000. Um, so, so far, the GoFundMe page has attracted gifts totaling 117000 from more than 8,200 donors since it launched at the beginning of the month and yeah has now increased its target. Are they going to are we going to get a a flying farage hovercraft though that's the question. Sadly it looks like no. Um so Harris has said that actually having chatted to the RNLI and having listened to volunteers and, and sort of listened to feedback that it, it may not actually be very practical to name any vessel after the right wing political figure Nigel Farage after all. Um, partly because I think they were, they were a bit worried that he would kind of gloat about, ah, the boat that's named after me is saving lives. Um, and also, I think it, it may attract a certain level of ire and, and um, yeah, anger from people and maybe maybe a bit too political for uh, the RNLI to actually engage in. And we have heard reports of RNLI volunteers being verbally abused over some of the issues that Nigel Farage has raised. So probably making that worse you know, isn't going to help. But he did suggest, which I rather liked, he was like, well, we probably could go for something a bit more subtle, like, you know, the flying milkshake, which was, I think, a bit of a reference to a couple of years ago. There was a bit of a fad for throwing milkshakes at um, right wing candidates like Nigel Farage and, and Tommy Robinson of the EDL, which obviously we don't condone. But, you know, it was a form of protest that was out there. That would also be an interesting name. So, so they're not going to do that. They've also said it might not actually be a hovercraft because uh, it, it turns out that actually for the channel, a hovercraft isn't that useful. That's it's better for places where there are mud flats like um, Morecambe and sort of uh, South End kind of area. So, actually, the story is now a hundred thousand pounds has been raised for the RNLI, which they will spend on a boat or a vessel, which will, they will call something. But yeah, I thought um, Harris had quite a nice way of uh, sort of responding to it, sort of saying, well, we're going to take an incredible organisation out on a shopping spree. So that's 
that's always a good thing anyway. Oh, that's great. I wonder where the under where the RNLI goes shopping. I mean, do you think that there is a big kind of enormous kind of version of Lidl where they can buy like life-saving boats and hovercrafts? And uh, well, on on the boats, so they actually have their own factory down in Poole. Do they? Um, where they, yeah, they make, they make all the boats for themselves. They, a few years ago, decided actually it would be more cost-effective. Uh, and I've actually been down there and it's amazing. It's massive. Oh, but it is, is it open to the public? So I don't think, I don't know, I don't know about the actual factory itself. Uh, the training centre that's there is, and they've kind of got a pool with wave machines where they can like make it rain and you can practice writing a, a boat that's, a lifeboat that's turned upside down and stuff like that. Like a, a little one, not like a massive. So no, it's, they do, they do make their own uh, so they can kind of take themselves on a shopping spree, but presumably it does still cost money to make them. I think being turned upside down in a boat in a in a sloshy bit of water is possibly my worst nightmare. I honestly, I saw this pool and I really wanted to do it as a team building thing for the third sector. <laughs> um, I really thought that'd be great. And I, I did get shouted down when I suggested that a few years ago. But, you know, I've got a new editor now. I'd much rather go with your idea of horse riding, I think. Than, uh, <laughs> than that. Rebecca tries to bully her teammates into things she enjoys and call it team bonding. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. And there is another bit of good news, isn't there? We should give a shout out to 11-year-old Max Woozy. Yeah, so we've mentioned him several times on the podcast. He is a little boy who's been uh, camping out in his tent uh, to raise money for a local hospice after uh, a friend, uh, a family friend who passed away at the hospice left in the tent to have adventures in. And he has now passed 500 nights sleeping out in a tent, mostly in his garden, but he has got to go to other places too. I think he even went to 10 Downing Street, didn't he, and, and slept out in the in the Rose Garden there. Oh, that's very cool. I mean, I know he went to London Zoo as well. Indeed. And I think he was celebrating his 500th night by um, sleeping out in a nearby woods in a in a shelter with parents and, and his best friend. And I mean, he has raised, he originally set out to raise £100 for North Devon Hospice, and he has now raised more than £640,000 by sleeping out, which is incredible. Favorite. that is amazing uh yeah well done max i think we've talked about max off and i think we are gonna have to have him on the podcast at some point it's getting rude to keep talking about him like this you know <laughs> that sounds like a good idea so uh that's all for this week we'll be back with another episode soon so make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it until then i'm andy ricketts and i'm rebecca cooney and our producer was Lindsay riley at rethink audio We'll see you next week.